You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Tomorrow night we're going to be focusing on chapter 5, which is an interesting chapter because it involves... um, some issues that kind of start to surface within the Jewish people who are kind of working to rebuild and to restore the walls around Jerusalem. Uh, So for chapter four, we know that they were facing, the Jewish people were facing opposition from Sanballat, from Tobiah, uh, from uh, Geshem, the Arab. Uh, They're facing all of this opposition. But when we get into chapter five now, we see that the opposition kind of starts rising from within the Jewish people. Um, So verse one in chapter five kind of reflects this. And there it says about this time, and, and he's referring to the time that all of these things in chapter four are happening. Things in chapter five are kind of occurring simultaneously. He says, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy. Our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We already sold some of our daughters. We are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and our vineyards are already mortgaged to others. So just opening there in chapter 5 of Nehemiah, you get a sense of the trouble that's kind of starting to kind of erupt there within the Jewish camp. Now I'll get a little bit more into this uh, tomorrow night, you know, what was happening uh, there. But let me just kind of make this point. Not only were there people outside the Jewish camp who were trying to come against them and kind of deter them from rebuilding and restoring the walls around Jerusalem, uh, from you know fulfilling God's plan, His vision uh, for them, uh, but there were uh, people. Uh, they're in chapter five who are within the Jewish community and they're kind of starting to rise up and they're starting to bring you know, confusion and chaos and all of that really has the potential of derailing what God is trying to do there in rebuilding those walls around Jerusalem. And so I wanna just say to you, as we as a congregation, as we're moving forward and really kind of discovering and discerning and implementing God's plan his purpose, his vision for our church. We just need to be aware that the enemy oftentimes is going to raise people up outside the church walls that's gonna try to deter and derail us from doing what God's called us to do. But we also need to be careful. We need to be aware that there may also come those from within the walls of the church that may try to come against and derail and bring confusion and chaos into what God is calling us to do as a congregation. So again, we just need to be on guard. We need to be aware. And as we kind of get more into the study, we're gonna see what Nehemiah did uh, to address those issues and to keep them kind of focused and to keep them on task. 
And I'll have more to say on this tomorrow night, but in the meantime, just invite you to take some time, you know, get into Nehemiah chapter five, uh, and we'll be here tomorrow night uh, at 6.30. Last Sunday, I talked about bitterness. And I talked about bitterness just in the way that it kind of affects our lives, it manifests in our lives, and oftentimes the kind of destruction that can come when we harbor bitterness. And there are a lot of times when we talk about bitterness, we kind of talk about uh, what I refer to as the spirit of bitterness. Um, and there is also, the Bible uses the terminology, the root of bitterness. And it's interesting when we talk about bitterness, oftentimes we'll kind of take those terms, you know, spirit of bitterness, root of bitterness, and we'll kind of use them interchangeably. I know I've done that, and interestingly, as I've kind of been really studying, uh, you know, about bitterness and, and particularly looking at that spirit of bitterness, uh, as I was looking at the root of bitterness, I kind of came to discover that the root of bitterness is something that I never really understood that it was. I, I again, just kind of thought it was, you know, just another way of saying the spirit of bitterness, but really the root of bitterness is something completely different. So last week I talked about the spirit of bitterness. This week I want to talk about the root of bitterness. Now, the most common biblical text that deals with the root of bitterness is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. And there it says, see to it that no one and again, he's talking to believers here, Christians. See to it that no one comes short or falls short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by it many be defiled. Now last week, one of the things I talked about regarding bitterness is that it's contagious. It quickly, it easily spreads from one person to another. We know that that is, you know, we can look at our own personal experience and know that that is true. And you can take verse 15 there in Hebrews chapter 12 and you can just isolate that verse and there it says that that, that bitterness, it, it, it can spread easily. It is contagious. However, if you take that verse 15 and you kind of take it in the broader context of Hebrews chapter 12, what you'll discover is that root of bitterness really is a, a part of a much bigger discussion involving the need for discipline as believers and also how God uses discipline as a part of our spiritual growth and formation. Now, we don't like that. We, we don't like equating discipline with spiritual growth and spiritual formation. So I want to just look at a few of the verses there in chapter 12 of Hebrews. If you've got your Bible, you can open up there. But I want you to kind of be able to see the broader context here. So chapter 12 opens by encouraging us to consider this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us there in chapter 11. And that is kind of those men and women of great faith. Then it goes on in verse 2, and it calls us to fix our eyes, our focus upon Jesus, who is the author, the the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Then in verse four, it begins speaking of God's use and his purpose of discipline. 
So verse seven says, it is for discipline that you endure. God is dealing with you as sons, daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, he's kind of appealing to common sense, common experience. Now, if I were to, I'm not going to, but if I were to ask you how many of you were disciplined by your father, many, if not most of us, would probably raise our hands. Again, what, what the writer Paul's doing is he's appealing again to a common experience, uh, again, a common uh, sense approach. He says, but if you are without discipline, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He said, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Again, it, it, when that discipline is measured, when that discipline is healthy and helpful, again, it develops a respect. Now, again, if you've had a father that's been abusive, obviously that's not healthy. It's not helpful. It's destructive. Okay, but what the writer is appealing here to are fathers who have used discipline in healthy and helpful ways as raising us as children. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good. (laughs) We don't like that either. So that we may share in his what? Okay, there's a benefit. There's a kickback. We get something in return. And what we, say, what we see there is one of the reasons, one of the ways that God uses discipline is so that we may share in his holiness, which in verse 14, it goes on and says, without holiness, we, we're never going to see the Lord. So discipline is necessary because it... it, it produces holiness in us, and in that holiness, then we're able to see, we're able to experience, we're able to encounter the Lord. So God is working in the life of every believer to bring forth holiness. And that word holiness, it just means to set apart. So so one of the ways that, that God executes his holiness in our lives is when we become when we become born again, when we become a Christian, the Bible says that God takes us uh, from the kingdom of darkness and he sets us apart in the kingdom of light. He takes us, he sets us apart from sin and he sets us apart under righteousness. So that's that idea of holiness. It's to be set apart. It's to be removed from one place and put in another. So the purpose of what God is doing there, as the Bible says, is is he's bringing you from one degree of glory to an even greater degree of glory. He's, He's kind of producing more and more of the image of his son, Jesus Christ, in each one of us. And again, one of the ways that God does that is through discipline. Verse 11 continues. This is all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. How many of you would agree with that? Yeah, we don't like it. Okay, it's sorrowful, he says. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Ah, another benefit. Holiness and peaceful fruit of righteousness. Again, one of the reasons why God chooses to discipline us 
is to bring forth that fruit of righteousness. And righteousness is simply being in right standing with God. Righteousness is just simply being able to say to God, things are right, things are good between you and I. And when you are in right standing, when things are good between you and God, you're gonna have that peace that passes understanding. You're gonna have that peace that's gonna guard your heart and mind against any kind of condemnation, that accusation of the enemy that Jim prayed uh, over us this morning. That's, it's gonna produce that peaceful fruit of righteousness. Verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are feeble, make straight the paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be what? Another benefit. (laughs) This is getting good, isn't it? Now we're kind of saying maybe discipline isn't so bad, right? We can be healed. We can be restored. We can be renewed. So again, part of the purpose of why God uses discipline and and uses it with his children is it's going to produce holiness, that peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's going to bring healing, renewal, restoration. Verse 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. Again, that's another word for holiness. As I alluded to earlier, without which no one will see the Lord. So again, sanctification, holiness, it's just that daily, ongoing process God uses to make you and me more and more and more like Jesus. And that process will not end until the day we die. There's always something more God wants to do. But, but as a believer, God's doing it from a position of being pleased with us. God does that from a position of delighting in us. His, his love uh, has been shed abroad upon our hearts. And, and so everything that God is doing, we, we see it for what it truly uh, is, a loving father. And then verse 15, and I'm just, again, I'm laying the context out and I wanna bring you to verse 15. And there he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many will be defiled that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau and he's referring to someone in the old testament there who sold his own birthright for a single meal for you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought it with tears now again there's a lot there to unpack there's a lot there uh, that would be great to talk about this morning but I want to again just really focus in on that phrase root of bitterness because it is you in this context in a much broader way in talking about God's discipline and the purpose and goal of God's uh, discipline. Now, what's interesting to me is if you've got a reference Bible, and, and many Bibles today are kind of reference Bibles, you'll notice there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, there is a reference to Deuteronomy 29, verse 18. 
Now, the purpose of a reference Bible is it kind of contains additional Bible verses that relate to or speak to uh, or will give you additional information or insight about the particular verse you're reading. So most reference Bibles, at least the ones I have, all contain a reference to Deuteronomy 29.18 as relating to Hebrews 12.15. So what what the reference Bible is saying is to better understand understand, to get a better sense of what God is saying, you need to go back to Deuteronomy 29, 18 and see what is it saying? How does it relate to what the writer is referring to there in Hebrews 12, 15? So we're going to do that uh, this morning. So in Deuteronomy 29, Old Testament, if um, you're not familiar with that. What you have happening there in Deuteronomy 29 is Moses is meeting with the nation of Israel. He's meeting with God's chosen people, the Jewish nation, and Moses is reminding them of all everything that God has done to bring them, um, to free them from being enslaved there in Egypt. He's reminding them of how he has come to fight time and time uh, uh, again on behalf of them, to help them, to defeat their enemies, to remind them of his covenant with them, that I am your God, you are my people. And And beginning in verse 17, Moses begins to remind them of how it was when they were enslaved there in Egypt, the way the Egyptian people lived, how they worshiped their pagan gods. And so in verse 17, Moses kind of issues this warning to the Israelites. Again, these are God's people. We are God's people, okay? It says, moreover, you have seen their abominations, the Egyptians, their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they had with them, so that there will not be among you a man or a woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and to serve the gods, the pagan gods of those nations, that there will not be among you a root of bitterness, bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. So there's that phrase, root of bitterness, that we encountered there in Hebrews 12, 15. Then in verse 19, it goes on to describe what that root of bitterness is. It shall be when he hears the words of this curse. Now here Moses is referring back to Deuteronomy 28. And if you're familiar with that, that's that chapter on blessings and curses, right? If you remember that. So he's referring back to those words of the curse that he will boast saying, I have peace though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. Do you see what the root of bitterness has produced there in Deuteronomy 28? 29.18, stubbornness of heart. The root of bitterness. Hebrews 12.15 is a warning to believers. A warning to believers about a false peace that says we are right with God. We're walking with God. 
We're being obedient to God. We are under the grace of God when in truth, we are walking in the stubbornness of our heart, rejecting his discipline, not walking in obedience. We may have said a prayer at one time. We may have invited Jesus into our heart. We may have said Jesus is Lord, but now we are walking in rebellion to God. We're doing things our way as opposed to his way. And then proudly, confidently, boldly convincing ourselves and others that we are right with God thereby giving us and others a false sense of peace, security, and salvation. When we boast, when we take confidence in that false security, that false peace that we are right with God, all the while we are rebelling against him and his word, that root of bitterness, that stubbornness of heart, It will begin to produce bad fruit. It will begin to defile and it will mislead us as well as others. The defining root of bitterness, Hebrews 12, 15, it is a warning. It's warning us about a church It's warning us about pastors or people that encourage people to make a faith profession in Jesus Christ, and then you just go and you live however you want to live, even in total rebellion to God, his ways, in the stubbornness of heart, in the end, you'll receive eternal life and go to heaven. There's a gospel out there like that. So if you go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, and you kind of understand what Deuteronomy 29 is saying, so the writer there says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness, no stubbornness of heart concerning God's ways spring up, causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. To me, this is one of these sobering verses. It ought to be a sobering verse to every one of us in here. I run the potential of coming short of the grace of God, of shortchanging the grace of God when I falsely presume upon the grace of God, when I use the grace of God in ways the grace of God was never intended to be used, I run the potential of cheapening or misusing the grace of God and unrepented of and uncorrected of. The Bible says it has the potential to defile us, to ruin us, and to defile and influence many. There are those who will take the gospel of grace and they'll misappropriate it and they'll misuse it as a license to continue in sinful behavior rather than understanding it is the grace of God that enables us to break free from the bondage of sin. God calls every one of us to obedience and holiness. I love what Jesus said in John 14, 21. He said, he who has my commandments and keeps them obeys them is what he's saying. It is he who loves me 
And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest, I will reveal myself to him. First Peter one verses 15 through 16 says, but like the holy one who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior. Because it is written, and he's going back and quoting Leviticus 11.44. He says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God is set apart. When he makes us his children, we are set apart unto him. As he is holy, we are holy. As he is set apart, we are set apart. As he is set apart from sin, we are set apart from sin. As he is set apart under righteousness, we are set apart under righteousness. That's what he's saying. So there comes this very clear, this concise call from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ of everything that we are to be striving for as Christians. And it is the grace of God that enables us to both respond and to faithfully live this out. The grace of God, it is not there to excuse us from our mistakes, our sins. It's not to minimize our responsibilities in pursuing a lifestyle of holiness. As a matter of fact, true grace will manifest itself in true holiness. Listen, I've had to speak to Christians, both men and women, who will come to me and tell me they're married, having an affair, and then they'll tell me they think God is all right with them. And I have the very unpleasant task of telling them, no, he's not. Never has been, never will be. Many, many years ago, these individuals are no longer a part of this congregation, so don't be looking around trying to figure out who it is. There's a man in our congregation who was contemplating leaving his wife and hooking up with another woman. He went to another person in this church, and that person's no longer here either, and was sharing with them what he was planning on doing. Their advice to him was this. Well... Just do whatever makes you happy. That did not fly with me. And I got a hold of this guy and I set him down and we had a good talk and he went back and he broke that relationship completely off, went back to his wife and they are still happily married today. See, God is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. As a matter of fact, true holiness translates into true happiness. Again, there's that peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, if you're perpetually committing and living in any kind of sin, and that, that covers every one of us in this room, for all of us have sinned, every one of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard, but when you perpetually continue to live in any one or more areas of sin, you are not living under God's grace, okay? You're in rebellion against God, and you're living in deception. And, and again, that's why it says, see to it that no one, my job is to make sure no one comes short of the grace of God. Your job is to make sure no one comes short of the grace of God. We are here to just hold each other accountable, to speak that truth in love. And oftentimes when we find that we're at a place where we've got this stubborn, this rebellious heart towards God, 
because I, I care about you, because I know that if that continues on, it's just gonna begin to produce bitter fruit in your life. If you don't forsake that, it's gonna begin to influence and it's gonna begin to defile others. And the most loving thing I can do is to lovingly come alongside you and say, can we talk about this? It just breaks my heart this week to hear people advocating for the aborting of a child right up until the time of delivery. I heard one person go so far as to say that there is a period of time, undefined, but there is a period of time, even after the baby's born, where the mother should have the right to decide whether that baby dies. I don't, I don't understand that. What I do know is when you begin to cheapen life on that end of the spectrum, you're gonna to begin to start cheapening life on the other end. And it's not gonna take much of a leap for us to go from, from killing babies to killing old people that we think have served their purpose. They're just using up you know, uh, many needed resources. And, and again, we're gonna find very convoluted ways to justify it on this end, just as we did on this end. Now, I, I wanna be really, really compassionate here, and I know that maybe there are some of you here that have been touched by abortion. Maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe it's someone uh, in your family. I am not here to put any condemnation on anybody that's ever had uh, that experience themselves or within their family or, or, or a loved one. Uh, again, it, 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 is, it is a complex issue. I, I understand that. But I also understand that God has a plan and a purpose for every life. And it is our job to see to it that that life is allowed to come forth, that, that those plans and those purposes that God has for that, purpose, that person are, are able to come to fruition. And we've got to do everything that we can to protect and to care for the unborn. They're the most vulnerable, they're the most innocent um, in society. And, and I believe the Bible calls us to be diligent in protecting um, that life. If you're here this morning and you've, you've had an abortion or you know of somebody who's had an abortion and you've never asked God to forgive you, he will forgive you. The Bible says if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just doesn't say anything about your faithfulness or how just you've been. God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so it's just simply coming to God and saying, I made a big mistake. I took a life for whatever reason. And just coming to God the Father, and, and again, you're going to encounter a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. And so I want to just encourage you as, as we, again, go forth on this. And part of what I struggle with is many of the people who are taking this extreme position on abortion consider themselves Christians. My friends, they're, they're coming woefully short of the grace of God. There is a stubbornness of heart there. And unless that is repented of, unless that is turned up, that is just going to begin to 
create very, very bitter fruit for them and for our nation. These are, these are legislators. This is gonna have an impact upon our country and we're gonna reap that. So we need to be praying that God would change the hearts of people who are on this position. Again, if you ever hear any message from a pastor, a Bible teacher, church that tells you that it's all right to sin, you don't need to repent because you're under grace, there's no consequences that Jesus has already forgiven all of your future sins, unrepented of. My advice to you is get as far away from that church, that pastor, that Bible teacher as possible. There's a big difference between a Christian who falls into sin, quickly repents, is forgiven and restored, and a person who habitually lives in sinful ways, never feeling the need or the desire to repent. The grace of God is there to enable us to free ourselves when we fall into the snare of the enemy, not to continue in sin. There's a difference between a Christian who commits a sin and a person who lives a life of sin. God's grace is there to enable those of us who fall into sin not to remain in that sin, to repent of that sin, to break free of sin's power and dominion over us. Listen to uh, Titus 2, and I'm gonna end with this. For the grace of God has been revealed. The grace of God has been revealed. It's here. Bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. The grace of God, it's already been revealed. There's some other things that are going to be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. Can I get an amen? amen. He gave, willingly, freely gave his life to free us from every kind of sin of sin. Pastor, you, you mean that sin? Yes. You, you mean this really horrible, horrible sin that I can't even forgive myself of? He, yeah. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You, we, I, our church must teach these things and encourage, implore believers to do them. You, me, the church, we have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. This is why the grace of God was revealed. This is the purpose of God's grace. So we have a choice to be able to walk freely, confidently, boldly, lovingly in the grace of God. Just being aware of those times when we do sin and we're all gonna sin, I do, you do, but just to be aware that those times when we do sin, the grace of God is there to, to, again, just convict us, 
Again, just to remind us, hey, what you did there wasn't good. We got to deal with this. And then just repent of that. And then we just simply ask God to forgive us. And the Bible again says he's, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or we can just simply walk in a stubbornness of heart. Yeah, I know God says that, but I know better. I know God says don't do that, but I feel like doing it. And I'm a believer. No, that's stubbornness of heart. That is that root of bitterness. Hebrews says, see to it that no one comes short of that. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up because it's going to defile you and it's going to defile others. That's really our choice. As for me, I want to walk freely and fully, confidently, boldly in the grace of God knowing that when I sin, when I fail, when I fall, when I make mistakes, his grace is there to help me repent, to seek the forgiveness I need, and to restore me. That's what I'm after. That's what I want. That's what I want for our church. That's what I want for you. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, we just again thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that your word gives to us, God. It's not to take us into bondage with a bunch of don'ts. It's to bring us to freedom and a bunch of do's. And Father, we are so thankful that you do grace. You do love. You do mercy. You do compassion like no one else. So Father, this morning, I just pray for anybody here that maybe has never, ever experienced your grace. Maybe there are people here that are feeling just really convicted and weighed down by their sin this morning. God, we thank you for that, Lord, because you're bringing an awareness to them. And God, you're bringing an awareness to them that they don't have to stay that way. You've done something to free them from that. And that is you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for our sins. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that when he was raised from the dead, that God, it was proof that the whole issue of sin had been dealt with in Christ. And that's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Father, I just pray, Lord, this morning that if there's any here that have never, ever tasted the goodness, the grace of God in salvation, that God, this morning, you would just speak to their hearts, God, that you would just continue to draw them to yourself. You're a loving, you're a good, you're a gracious Father who longs to bestow that love upon his children, to forgive, to redeem, to restore this morning, Father. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door of their heart and invites me, and Jesus said, I'll come in and I'll make myself at home there. I'll make a home there. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I also pray maybe there are those here this morning, God, who've tasted of the grace of God, yet, Lord, are kind of in that root of bitterness, that stubbornness of heart, that, God, that they're, they're rebelling, they're pushing against your ways. Morning, God, I just ask you'll soften their heart, that, God, you'll just amplify your voice, in their spirit, God, that they would hear you clearly. They would hear you convincingly calling them back, calling them to repentance. So Father, this morning, we again just thank you for your grace, 
We thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.